What is up, all you beautiful people? Happy Sunday. At least it's Sunday here. It's your boy Hobart coming to you from Costa Rica once again. And this time I'm on the Caribbean side, man. Um, yeah, I've been out here now almost a week. God, it's already been almost a week. It's crazy. Um, down here right on the southern side of the coast, if you're tracking on the map, I'm almost to the Panama border in a little town called Cahuita, and it is gorgeous down here. I am loving it. It's like so beautiful and tropical, and the people are so friendly. There's a little more of like a Rasta influence on this side, and uh, a lot more of the Caribbean influence as far as the food, more spice, more rice and beans. Actually, rice and beans are kind of everywhere, but you got more of that Caribbean influence. The music's been great, and just been hitting the beach and um, just kind of trekking up and down, trying to explore. Um, been traveling with my friend Lisa, who's this badass German woman who is six months pregnant and traveling solo. So I was like, immediately had to was interested to get to know this person. Um, and she's been a great travel buddy. Um, and we ended up, you know, driving from Essence, where I recorded my last podcast. Um, we drove up here the other night, and uh, we didn't really have a destination. She wanted to get down to Manzanillo, which is another town farther south of us, where we are now. Uh, we were thinking about staying in this place called Porto Limon, and we got there in the night and just wasn't feeling the vibes. Very industrial place. And uh, so we kept driving. We just took off out of the city, out along these kind of country Caribbean roads, super dark. I'm kind of starting to get a little nervous because uh, we didn't have a whole lot of gas left. But uh, I was with this intrepid German and she just was determined to keep driving and Eventually, we found a uh, a gasoline station. I was very happy and relieved. And then uh, we didn't have any service or anything because we, all we have is Wi-Fi on our phones. And I was kind of looking at Google Maps. It gives you, in the offline mode, like a basic map of the roads in your area. And I uh, saw this little place pop up, even though we weren't online. And it was said, uh, Passion Fruit Lodge, highly recommended. So I was like, hey, it's an eco-lodge. That's what it says. Um, we should check this out. And uh, we just pointed our compass for that spot and pulled in after dark. And um, let me just say this place is gorgeous. Uh, just beautiful woodworking throughout the property. It's like two acres in the middle of the rainforest, but just kind of open space. One of the things when you're in the deep jungle, it can get kind of stuffy and close because the tree there's just so much growth everywhere and so having like a big open lawn with grass and sparse trees it's just so refreshing and um you know perhaps the best place part about this place is uh are the hosts there's just these two uh young uh belgian young belgian couple and uh they're super friendly 
totally opened their hearts and their doors to us. And right from the start, we just felt such a positive vibe from them. And uh, turns out they had just taken over ownership of this place and we were their first customers. And so, you know, sometimes when you're the first customer, you get treated you know, to an even better experience. And that was definitely the case. Like they've just been so friendly and welcoming and hospitable and really like the rooms are gorgeous and it's totally affordable too, which is nice. Beautiful pool. Sounds like an ad, I know. But uh, if you are coming out this way, I highly recommend the spot. Um, I mean, just to give you an idea of, of how hospitable they've been, Today I turned on my laptop and the screen wouldn't go on, which has been super frustrating trying to figure out how to get it to work. After like an hour of troubleshooting, no luck. Uh, I asked the, the the guy Bert, who's who's the one of the hosts, if I could if he had an external monitor, and we tried to make that work. And I, so right now I'm running this whole recording of this intro through their television in their living room. So. They're letting me use their living room right now as my podcast studio so I can get this episode out to you guys. So I'm much obliged to them. Mucho gusto, my friends. I might try to get an inter- interview with Bert before I leave this place and hear the story of how he became the owner. I think that'd be interesting. Um, yeah, so we're, we're back at Passion, Passion Fruit Lodge and loving it here. There's your prologue. Okay, all that being said, it does have relevancy to this episode. And that is because while staying here, I was privileged enough to run into just the sweetest couple who are also staying here. And after a little bit of talking, um, I really got into a, a really sweet conversation uh, with this guy, Tyler. Uh, who's traveling with his girlfriend, Lacey. And uh, Tyler is from the Midwest originally, but has since settled in Seattle. As you'll hear, we go into that in this episode. And he is a singer, you know, kind of a rising pop singer, I guess you could call him. Although he says, you know, he's been drifting more into like the kind of indie folk realm. But he's just got a beautiful voice. He showed me one of his songs and I was just so impressed with the production quality and and the and the quality of his voice. He's really uh he's really got a little spark there. Um but I was even more impressed just by his philosophy regarding music and life and before I knew it we had gotten into this super interesting conversation and I kind of had to stop and be like, "Whoa, we got to we got to put this down and uh so we agreed, and a couple of days later, we sat down in some in some hammocks and uh, recorded this episode uh, that I now bring to you. So just to give you a little recap, you know, we go into the music, we talk about his his history, he trying out for American Idol, um, getting into singing, his workflow, how he works with other artists, and we we kind of dive into politics a little bit as well because. Uh, both him and Lacey lived in the autonomous zone in Seattle, if you've heard about. And we we, we go a little bit into p- politics as well. Keep it pretty civil, though. It's a pretty positive talk overall. I think we focus more on the things we agree on, which I think is always a good place to talk about politics. And, um, you know, overall, I just got to say, he's like one of the sweetest people I've ever met. 
uh, am really happy that we could connect and I just wish him like all the best success in his endeavors. I think this guy's got a lot of talent, so you should definitely go check out his music. Um, as an additional treat, I will be including one of his songs at the end of this episode in lieu of our, maybe I'll, maybe what I'll do is I'll switch, uh, I'll switch around the, uh, the music because we'll keep it all original songs. I'll put my original theme song by my boy, Jesse Lemmy Adams in the front. Uh, and then we'll put uh Tyler's music at the end. And so it'll be all, you know, legit ind- independent original music instead of my normal sample in the beginning. Um, all that being said, hope you guys enjoy this as much as I did recording it and, uh, and much love to you all from the beautiful Caribbean shores of Costa Rica. So without further ado, let me introduce to you Tyler Smith, a.k.a. Otis, on this episode 37 of the Bartcast. Great to hear from you. What a surprise. Last six months of my job, absolutely I was. <laughs> um, I'm incredibly manic. Like I literally wake up in the morning and like jump out of bed and then don't slow down until I fall into bed at the end of the night. So um, it's kind of only been here where I like take a breath and chill. Mm-hmm. That I'm discovering siestas or something that may be more beneficial to my life. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it'll stick with me when I go back to the States. There's a lot about traveling that you, it's like, it's almost like when you're on a psychedelic journey and you're like, how do I bring some of this back with me? Cause I know I'm going back into a context where, uh, you know, when you're on vacation, everything is like kind of giving you a hug, especially in a place like this. So it's like, how do I go back to like the coldness of domestic living and Am I going to be able to be Pura Vida when I get back? I don't know. We'll see. That's the, that's the big question, right? It was, it's funny you say that. I was actually, so my, my brother is, has been vagabonding for the last eight years. Mm. Um, they did seasonal work and then have just been able to travel on a budget and hike and, and do their whole thing. They're, Trimigration, I'm guessing. Say that again. Trimigration? Uh, no, no. no. Um, it, Washington State, it's a $15 an hour minimum wage, uh, which is pretty decent and they were working uh basically near canada on this area called the san juans it's beautiful i actually have a tattooed on me nice Um, oh yeah if if unicorns exist they exist there cool and anyway everyone that comes and visits there is like oprah and bill gates you know Mm. so each night they're taking home like 500 800 dollars so when you go over to eastern europe that lasts you yeah very long time um but i was actually talking to him today because this is the first time i traveled somewhere where weirdly enough, I'm actually decided to go home in that I first started really seriously traveling and doing the hostel life and vagabonding when I was like 18. Okay. And kind of always felt like I was running away. 
And this is the first time where, you know, the last few years of COVID, I was really focusing on my mental health and also the people around me making sure that they were good. And I feel like since I stepped off the plane and got through the chaos that was San Jose and customs, how I've been greeting each day has been the same way I greet each day back home, which is how can I bring myself most fully into this situation and positively impact the people around me. And I feel like just that little shift in perspective has kind of changed everything because all of my trips before it was, how can I Mm self-serve? How can I get rid of my stress? How can I just be happy and then go home? But now it's no, 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 no. Just by being here, I'm happy. So how can I make just everything that comes into my orbit better once it leaves? It's funny how when you do have the space to, to where your needs are being met and you're, you are being served, you know, whatever wisdom you had in those earlier trips of needing to give yourself, you know, a break from the normal grit and grind or whatever, whatever you were escaping from, you know, when you're actually able to achieve that. And it sounds like on this trip, it came kind of intuitively the almost default setting that arises out of that state is like, how do I bring this to others? How do I spread this feeling? I know I'm here, been here now. What has it been? Almost you know, a little over two weeks, and have engaged in a lot of healing work. And that was like one of the first things that came out of it was like, I feel great, and I want to make everyone else feel great now because this feeling is too good to keep to myself. Like I want to share it, and, and so I think that that is the value of traveling and that is the value of, of getting outside whatever rut you're in as humans. I think naturally when our needs are met, we want to turn into a support role for others. Well, I mean, you already hit on it a few moments ago. It's when you go home and you're radiating and then you see everyone stuck in their just grayscale of, you know, go to job, <laughs> go to the job, put yeah. food on the table for the family, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you just want to shake them and be like, wake up. There's other things. And so <laughs> take the red pill. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so, f- so for me now it's, it's almost like I, I'm sounding like an evil genius and I promise I'm not this thought out, but in just being here, I've been here five days now. We have like 70 more days to go. Um, so who knows what I'll, what I'll sound like at the end of this trip, but I'm I'm almost experimenting with how I present myself here to see if I can use those same skills back home. Instead of instead of pushing thoughts and my feelings and beliefs on other, how can I how can I meet them where they're at mm-hmm. and and still get them to end up where they are happier and living a more fulfilling life. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, that's it's funny on the flight over I flew southwest cuz it was so cheap and I got the free check bags, but they're not a sponsor, by the way. Um, but they don't have, like, TV screens in the back of the seats, which I th- thought every airline now did. Uh, so, but luckily I brought, like, my little phone, and I was able to access their, like, they had, like, Wi-Fi, limited Wi-Fi, and you could watch, like, a couple movies. And one of the ones was that movie Soul, the Pixar one that came out. John Baptiste. Yeah, and I'll admit, when I first saw the ads, I was a little skeptical because, like, Hollywood just for the most part, just mangles every movie about musicians and music. And it's always like the Hollywood take on what music is, what's important in music and what the message is about playing. And 
So I was going in with a bit of skepticism, but I really, you know, maybe it was the sleep deprivation, but I got choked up <laughs> at the end and I was, I thought it was a really beautiful message. And the part that really touched me was one of the, the themes, one of the lessons in how when this new spirit came into his body, like the experience of it was like really appreciating all the little things about life and being so grateful to get to live. And I think that that for me is what traveling can get you back to is that almost like being a Don Quixote where you're like always tilting at windmills where I love getting into a town. It's like, Oh, look at this cool bridge. I got five minutes to sit under this bridge and just be with the bridge and like check out this little corner of the universe that I would never in a million years would come into contact with. And just now I'm getting to have a moment and it's almost like your, your trip, your journey becomes a mosaic of all those little moments. And before you know it, you're like the whole pattern of your life is, it has shifted a little bit and you're, you really are like, you know, us West coasters, we love to say live in the moment. And then we go off and we are on our Instagram or we're sending emails or we're checking, you know, live in the moment. Hold on. I just got a notification. Uh, and so it can become kind of, you know, all bullshit in a way, but that's what I love about getting out and, and traveling and, and setting. I set the intention on this trip to try to leave my phone in my room uh, as much as possible and, there were those moments where the the little gremlin was like, I kind of want to go play around on it. I wonder if someone messaged me. Did people check my Instagram posts, you know? And if I sat for just like 30 seconds, that voice would go away. And then it's like, oh, maybe I should just pick up my journal and I'll do some writing or drawing. Or maybe I'll just look at a flower for, for 20 minutes, you know? We... So, you know, I have I have younger siblings. My partner has a younger sibling. They're all Gen Z. And, you know, if you know anything about Gen Z, they have option paralysis because mm-hmm. we are surrounded by constant imagery of success and both failures, and they don't want to be either. And right. so they live in this state of paralysis. And for me, what travel has taught me is you whatever it is, just be all in. And for me... And it's, un- it's uncomfortable to be all in. Mm-hmm. But once you're able to say, no, today I'm going to be uncomfortable and I am just going to take every opportunity to stop and look at the beach or stop at the bridge for a few extra minutes, the fulfillment you get and the lessons you learn about yourself and the authenticity that inevitably shows itself, it's priceless. It really is. And the... I think that coupled with like surrendering to the moment and surrendering to like the inevitable change that, that is the only constant. Um, I know I've told this story before on this, on this podcast, but just, I remember traveling in India and being arriving at this beach and I was only going to stay for a night and I made all these friends and the next day I packed up fully and, uh, I started getting really sad and I was like feeling anxiety and I was like, I had to sit for a second. I was like, why? Like nobody cares if I go to this other place. I'm the only one that's putting the pressure on me. And I like was, had this moment where I was just like, what if I just surrender to the fact that I'm going to stay and give up on this 
itinerary that I had created myself that was now like a golem. Before you even knew what India was like, you right. know, what, as you were doodling months ago. Exactly. No, you always build, with traveling, I always like to build the plan and then throw it out the moment that I land because there's so many places that, you know, everybody's like secret spot that they tell you about out of country. When you get in country, everyone, that's like the touristy spot. But then you hear about this other place that's like, a little less known and and those are always the places that are the most powerful what uh I, I got a question for you what i've heard you reference the term vagabonding what does that term mean to you um so there's there's a book called vagabonding i'm not going to be able to reference the author unfortunately but vagabonding oh wow i'm really going to bastardize this but it's essentially endless travel or longer term travel so for instance you know most people in the U.S., a holiday is a week. Right. Uh, I had to twist my buddy's arm to come here for 10 days. Um, and I, I quit my job and I'm here for 75 days. Um, you go to Europe and sit sweets is a normal trip. But right. So vagabonding is just being open to longer-term travel and thus it's more costly. But also you're able to open up yourself to more experiences, right? To, to your point in India, uh, mm-hmm. because you had an open timeline, you were able to make those friends and, and live those experiences. So, um, living with less and, and thus getting more. Mm. Yeah. I love that. I, I think there's something that's built into that style. Cause I've, I'm not super familiar. I never read the book and I'm not super familiar with the term, but as you describe it, I've met plenty of vagabonds um, and, and one thing I think when you get out for those long-term trips, you start to shed the like traditional need for the comforts of Western civilization where like, we're so used to like hot water and sleeping in a bed and a level of cleanliness that we feel we're entitled to. And when you get out there at first, it can get a little pokey and you're like, Oh no, this place is a little funky. And, Ah, am I going to be okay? And then you go to sleep and you wake up and you're still there and you're, oh, I'm I'm all right. And then you do it again and again. And I know like in the beginning of my trip, I was spending probably 10 times as much on a room. By the end, I'm like looking at rooftops and I'm like, I could sleep under that little Mm -hmm. alcove and knocking on people's doors. Like how much for your roof, you know? And you start to realize that like, hey, I'm like pretty good anywhere and it might be an uncomfortable night. It might be an amazing night, but either way, like it's the world is a lot safer than we're led to believe. And I think it's a great mental practice to abandon comfort and to, to really like kind of get, get down to those bare bones. Well, well, and when I think the most beautiful thing about getting down to bare bones. So my first international trip, uh, was with my brother. It was the stereotypical Western Europe trip. We, you know, threw our backpacks on, went to Switzerland, Austria, Germany, nice. the whole, you know, very established tourist loop. And I remember getting back. And so I've been out in Seattle about five years now, but I'm originally from the Midwest in Nebraska. And, um, I love my Midwest roots, taught me how to be tough, taught mm-hmm. me how to, you know, say hi to my neighbor. But, you know, there's a lot of fear there. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't leave the town we grew up in. And I remember getting back there and people talking about how in danger I was when I was in Switzerland because there's all these Eastern Europeans migrating in and they're mm. just, you know, they, they're communist and they're unsafe. <laughs> and, and it was so funny because, you know, when I was in Switzerland, I remember talking to those people and they're like, you know, we, 
we came here for a new opportunity. We just want to work. We just want to provide for our family. We just want to be happy. And everywhere you go, it's the same story. You, unfortunately, you still see racism and, and, and people with, with differences and people doing in-crowd and out-crowd stuff. But regardless of the side you sit on or the color of your skin, you see that everyone just wants to take care of their people and see the next day. And as soon as that clicks, granted, I feel very safe as a six-foot white dude traveling around. Uh <laughs> But for the most part, most places are safe and people just want to see you happy and see you thrive. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, most play paces are safe. There's always danger, but that's what adventure is. And I think that there is a way to travel where you are aware of the risks. And I know for like myself personally, I usually don't really drink or do drugs because like the trip itself is like this extended psychedelic odyssey. If I'm going to do something, it's going to be like in a very intentional and safe context. Mm -hmm. But I was, I was talking to this girl the other at like a hostel a couple weeks ago. And I was like, yeah, like if you don't drink your risk of danger goes down like to the single digits, like, most of the horror stories happen at a bar in another country. Or, bar and or dark alley. Or dark like, alley, right? Situ- situational so, awareness is yeah. a keyword I always say to my friends. Like, no, I'm not going to go to the other part of town some random person told me about mm-hmm. past 10 p.m. And right. that's and that's fine. Right. Totally. But but I, I hear you. I've, I've had people give me some pretty bizarre, you know, Fox News talking points or uh, just general... generalizations about about countries where i'm like you know these people were the most hospitable and friendly and and kind and you know it's like i i remember going to when i went to israel on a birthright trip uh we were in jerusalem and they were taking us around the city and our trip guides uh were like whatever you do don't go in the muslim quarter like it's dangerous you've got a target on your back as americans like just stay out of there so as soon as they let us go off on our own, the first thing I did was go to the Muslim course, quarter. And I, it was like the most beautiful part of the city. Like everybody's got these little shops and they're sitting out and welcoming you in. I'm yeah, sure immediately was welcomed into a shop. This guy was super nice. He's like, I used to live in LA. Now I'm back here to come have tea on my front doorstep. We talked philosophy. We talked about life. Meanwhile, I'm wearing a warrior's Jersey. I'm like clearly like the consummate American, but it was like such a general genuine genuine cultural experience and i never once felt unsafe and it was like these people are total total people they're humans they're just like you and me and it's it it is sad that uh you know i think it's just essential to find your own balance of of risk and being aware of your situations like you were saying but also uh not letting the fear, you know, ruin your opportunity for like what can be life changing experience. When in doubt, a smile is disarming. Right. Anytime I feel uncomfortable, I just give the biggest smile. And if there was a situation that was going to arise, it seems that that's disarming enough. Yeah. It seems that reminds people that I'm also human and I'm also just trying to get through the day. Um, totally. But maybe I've actually never been in any harm's way. Right. I mean, I live in Oakland, California. And if you listen to, people who've never been there they're like what do you isn't that a really dangerous city like how do you live there like i hear that there's just murders and people getting robbed in the streets and i'm like you're talking about san francisco right (laughs) like 
I've lived in Oakland now for eight years and I've never once been in a situation where I felt unsafe. And even when I've dealt with people that are aggressive or having a bad day, like being able to bring like a, an open hearted energy to it. It's amazing how disarming that can be even to someone that at first glance might be setting off your alarm bells, you know, so often, you know, I always try to assume uh, miscommunication or misunderstanding because so often that's what it is. And we're, we're all, to get to your point earlier, like we all essentially want the same things, food, comfort, shelter, safety. Um, so, yeah, that's got to bring that, that ethos to, to the travel. And um, I'm curious. I want to talk. Let's talk some music. Ooh, yes, please. So Tyler here is a musician hello y'all uh and i forget you were telling me what do you bill as like what's your artist name so um shout out to my parents my name is tyler john smith um <laughs> the whitest so, name in America. so unfortunately that's not my stage name my stage name is otis o-t-y-s okay um based out of seattle so yeah my my first few tracks over the last few years have all been like very poppy mm-hmm. I actually just dropped an ep um sort of reflecting on my journey from the midwest why i moved to the west coast some of my demons yeah um it's more indie folk okay um and with this trip here i'm kind of hoping to to regain some of some of that new passion um I'm, it's day five and I've written two songs. So that's uh, great. hopefully by the end of the trip, there's a full, full length. That's, um, that's amazing. What's the name of your EP? So the EP I just put out is Midwest Goodbye. Okay. Um, highly recommend. The highly name recommend. says it all. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, we get right down to it. Sick. Yeah. And, and, and maybe I was going to ask you, you know, if you're open to it, we could put a track off that at the end of this episode so people can listen to it. You know, so it's, I was, I was sitting in the pool earlier mm-hmm listening to just my own thoughts and, and trying to see what would come to me. And, uh, I was reminded that one of the tracks on the EP is called good enough. And there's a line that goes learning life's about the balance. It always ebbs and flow. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's the track for you. Good okay, enough. Sick. Yeah. So all you listening at the end of this, we'll put that, uh, in lieu of the n- normal ending music. So you can get, check out, check out the Otis track and, uh, you know, if if things that we're saying resonate, you can hear the art behind it. You know, this, I like to tell people this podcast is, you know, it's, it's hard when people ask you like, so what's your podcast about, bro? And I'm like, well, it's like everything and nothing, you know, but I've been working on trying to get my like soundbite description because people want to want to feel like it's about something. So I say that, you know, like it's an exploration of creativity uh, how people are following their creative dreams and escaping the nine to five. And uh, so when I talk to you, you're in this period of great transition. You just quit your job. Um, I could think of it's super apropos. So maybe a good place to start would be just a little bit of your story, how you got into music yeah, uh, and you know, what led you to, to, to jumping off. So, this trip. you know, so I'm actually in a bat pedal even prior to music. Yeah. So uh, I'm from a family of sits. I have four siblings. Um, my dad's an entrepreneur. My mom's this just a weird, not weird, very quirky accounting lady. She's always, you know, seeing numbers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I grew up 
some of my first memories was going to like board meetings with my father. And so I was kind of this super ADHD kid running around singing Disney tunes, um, being sort of molded into this business life. Princes or princesses. Oh, I was definitely, so I share a closet with my girlfriend, yeah. very androgynous closet. Yeah, yeah. I was the princess and the puppy when we played house. Okay. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, gender roles, whatever. I'm trying to get the image of the songs that you were choosing and which parts. You know? Oh, I'm definitely Jasmine on okay. a whole new world. Um, anyway, so yeah, most, most of my life I, you know, I wanted so badly to be my dad. I wanted to be a businessman. And, um, so when I went to school, I got my first corporate job when I was 19. Damn. Uh, I started way too young. I was like, nah, screw all my homies that are, you know, working at the grocery store, which I also did at 14. Um, I'm just going to go get the big money and, and start paying for where I want to be, um, which is not here in the Midwest. <laughs> um, and right as that happened, right as I got that corporate gig, uh, my dad got sick. Mm. Uh, my dad had stage two non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and... It was one of those one of those wow moments that kind of just everything exploded in my head, and you know I I saw my buddies going to parties and and kind of just you know they were they were looking for their own path, um, and I just kind of put my head down, and so I was working the nine to five as a nineteen year old. I was enrolled full time at my four year university and part time at a community college, and then spending nights with my dad at the hospital. And so I graduated in two and a half years and moved out to Seattle, um, basically freshly 21 with already a few years of corporate experience. And that whole time, so high school through college, um, you know, I was, I was doing acoustic shows. I auditioned for American Idol. So I was still manic me trying to live every little life bubble. Um, and I spent a few years working in Seattle and then finally, just one day, I was like, I'm so unhappy. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm here. I have my weekend warrior lifestyle. I have my mattress in the back of my car. I sleep on the mountains on the weekend. But then I get back from the mountain, and I go in, and I try to have a conversation with someone. And they, they ask about you know, how I'm going to spend my commission check instead of like, are you happy? Right. You know? And I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so that, that quickly lent itself to, fuck this. I'm going to, I'm going to start playing the game. I'm going to use this money to start putting it towards producing the stuff that I care about, building visuals, using it in a way like, I hate that I'm a tech bro, but it opens doors for me to then go and meet the people I want to meet. And so a few years being in Seattle, I just started basically going into work early, leaving early and then going straight to the studio. Um, and so after doing that for a few years, I dropped nine songs in 2020 and then this EP this year. And I was like, great. People know me now. I got the music I care about. I have a foundation. I'm so not happy <laughs> in corporate yeah. America. Yeah. And now the foundation's built. So mm-hmm. let's, let's go reset. Let's, you know, take another deep dive into analyzing who I am. And then let's come back and let's chase this full time. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, I think that's a, it's kind of a question that every artist, especially those, that live in the West coast cities have to answer, which is like, I know that there's an inordinate amount of wealth in the, in tech and that can mean opportunities for artistic endeavors. Like one of the the things that is cool about tech is that there's an ethos of supporting the arts, whether it's superficially or genuinely. Right. And I think every artist has to decide like, 
knowing full and well the corrupting influence of that tech money, like how much do I quote unquote sell out and how much do I try to build a bubble of authenticity that I can maintain while still having some interaction because we do need like, you know, the starving artist is cool, but like at the end of the day, I think most of us do have, uh, dreams of stability in our life. And so every artist, you get to that point, And I know myself, I, I think about this a lot is like, okay, how much of that energy do I let in? How do I find my own path? How do I stay true and authentic to my creative vision while still building like the necessary inroads to, to be able to support myself and keep this thing sustainable. It's not for me. It's not even so much about being wealthy as it, it is like, how do I get to a place where my creativity is a sustainable practice mm-hmm. where I'm not, I've done the thing where I try to like work full time and have a creative practice and it's just too exhausting. I, I work all day and I, I, I'm amazed that you were able to do what you did because I'm so exhausted at the end of it's an eight always, hour It's shift. just the mania, man. Yeah, That's all it was. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And it's, again, it's, it's not that it, it's good or bad. It's just, it's, is that a sustainable thing? Are you going to be able to keep creating long-term? I'm so happy you touched on the sustainable creativity thing. Cause for me, it was, I, I was happy to sit in tech and navigate it because I had it unlocked my own truth in regards to how I would sustain the creativity. You know, I mm. would I would get the lyrics, I would get the melodies in verse. Um, and then the cool part about the tech was whenever I had that creative burst, then I had my photographer, my visual homies, my production homies that I could be like, all right, this is the vision, this is the dream. And now that I have you guys in my court and can make sure you're taken care of, which is a big deal for me. Like if mm. I'm going to be the, the breadwinner of all of my homies, then I'm going to make sure my homies get paid. Yeah. Um, and so I was able to quickly bring that to life with the tech money. But now, now that I've had access to those rooms, now that I know I can create, it's not a question of like, do I belong here? I know I belong here. Mm-hmm. And so the, the seed money, if you will, for talking business terms matters a lot less to me. Um, because, because yeah, now I'm, now I'm here. Yeah. And you've built your you've built your pipeline already. You've got your network and that's really important. The people you surround yourself with it makes me think about this, uh, artist I've been really following and into lately. Um, a couple episodes back, I had my, my homie Tope on, who's this really, Tope. yeah, T O P E. He's from Portland. Now he's in the Bay in Oakland and he's an amazing hip hop producer and rapper and he just dropped this album with this guy, La Russell, who's like up and coming, going to be like the next big hip hop star. Like he's just blowing up. It's crazy. Every week I see this kid like he's from Vallejo, California, and he's just like, it's just exponential how much people are connecting with this dude. And in the last couple of weeks, I've seen his like promotional model evolve and he's just all about giving it back. Like, I think like two weeks ago, he was like, okay, I'm about to give 10 people a percentage of my next album who oh, have been with me from the start. So like, if you have a ticket stub, if you have a t-shirt, if you have something from like my early career, send me it on social media. I'm going to pick 10 people randomly and you're going to get a piece of my next project because you were here from the start, which to me, it's like, that's so amazing. And it's also his head is, it's such an intelligent thing because 
whatever those percentage points are, like he's getting it back tenfold in the image, in the way that he's changing the culture of, of the industry. Like that's such a powerful force to be redefining. Like, yeah, I, he came up from a community and now you see him directly lifting others up and making that his brand, which I find so inspiring. It's, you know, especially with this podcast, we've already talked about authenticity, um, you know, a few times. And I think about Demi Lovato, uh, which, you know, she's had a crazy last year. If, if you know anything about her with, uh, just, you know, her addiction and and struggles Mm -hmm. there. And she, just continues to be open and authentic and the only thing that's doing is creating more super fans i mean we live in a in a generation now where you can take a photo edit it in five seconds (laughs) and post it online and no one knows the difference and Mm so and and we talked about this poolside too uh you know you you look you look back and you listen to you know bob marley and some of the classics and you hear some of the raspiness in their voice and the more you can be authentic and show that to people the more you're going to actually have lifelong supporters and people that will ensure hey you might not have that you know mansion in malibu but you're going to have food on the table and that food is going to you know allow you to create as much as you want i'll take a tiny home in costa rica over a mansion in malibu amen amen um yeah i mean i think that that's what that's what the quote unquote new media is all about. That's why podcasting has become such a huge force and why even with social media, why people are gravitating towards like uh, these content creators because the traditional model of media, it's like processed food, right? Like this is how I view it. Like the TV with the news, with these traditional media sources, it's like we've been getting fed Kellogg's cornflakes and Nabisco and you see what it's been done to people, especially in the last year. Like my friends who have been consuming the most processed content are sick. They're full of fear. They're stressed. It's making them crazy. And I think the beautiful thing about content creation and, and, you know, my vein right now being podcasting and videography, like what I'm seeking to be is like the like funky hippie organic store of content like i want my shit to be like really authentic uh causing people to think provocative getting people in a i'm hoping that even though this is part of the digital hive mind the the thoughts that it's bringing to people the way that it's making people think is going to be something that is nourishing the mind rather than uh taking the mind out of a healthy state and and i think that that's why this whole phenomena is has blown up is because people are just so thirsty for authenticity right now and all these social movements whether it's like black lives matter you you see similar ones on the right with libertarianism if you even define that as a right-wing thing anymore uh it's it's all a response to this kind of traditional image of america and of the world that is crumbling right now and people with the advent of the internet, people are just hungry for truth and for authentic speech and authentic culture and content. And it's an exciting time to be able to create parts of that. A a tangent from that while we were going through, you know, some of the, the, I mean, all of the last 18 months has been turbulent. So I don't (laughs) want to say some of, uh, but you know, being in Seattle, we had, we were a prominent member of the BLM movement. I mean, two blocks from my house was where we had chop um or chaz what, yeah will you explain what that is so yeah so for everyone listening at home um last year in june when when blm was was really kicking off um 
Capitol Hill, which is a neighborhood in the greater Seattle area, um, essentially became autonomous. We, um, we were protesting for BLM. Um, the news may say otherwise. I was there. Um, I, you know, I was standing in the crowd as we put up our umbrellas because we saw police coming with tear gas and then they started attacking us. And then I don't believe any police officers were hurt, but they, they left, they fled the area. Um, Nothing. Is this at the very start? This is very start. Gotcha. Nothing happened to the police station. Uh, there were rumors that it was going to get burned down, which would have been a terrible, terrible look for the city if we did that. Yeah. It was a test, really. Right. Uh, no one touched it, stayed there. And then the next few days was you know, what I would liken to my understanding of, of Woodstock. It was, it was a peaceful movement of teachers being brought in, teaching black history, teaching the privilege baked into Seattle. I mean, there's still neighborhoods where in, in some of the guidelines – you can't be given that property if you are not part of that family, mm. part of that white family. Red you know? still exists. Yeah, it's, it's, it's baked into our society. There's systemic issues there. And Anyway, I could tangent on that for a minute. Yeah. But going back to the news component, what was interesting is, you know, I, I identify as pretty progressive. In fact, I identify as socialist. I think mm-hmm. we are only as good as our, our lowest person until we can help our hungry eat until we can give them housing so they can get employment we are going to continue to suffer um i was a big bernie guy yeah um again i could tangent on that but where i'm going with this is i stopped paying attention to any of the mainstream media in fact during that time i was getting all of my news from snapchat (laughs) be and which just sounds crazy to say like i can't believe i'm saying that out loud Mm -hmm. but they had all the live recordings that was what was happening at those protests. Like right. you can see in those videos, we weren't doing anything before we were provo- before the police started firing. Um, and so th- the fact that that's where we're at as a society <laughs> where I'm getting my media yeah. from just a random person recording on the street mm-hmm. is, is very telling. Totally. And, and you see the kind of institutionalized media responding by attacking citizen journalists and, uh, and you know, it's not that they aren't without their own flaws. You're always going to be getting a filtered message, you know, no matter wh- whose perspective you're looking for, right. but there is something, I, I, I want to use the word comforting. There's something about like that this person at least hasn't been trained in the ways of propaganda and deception and they're not corporate sponsored whether you agree or disagree with their politics, you're going to be getting like a less processed perspective to use the metaphor we've been building on. We are stronger with citizen journalism, journalism, excuse me, because we can see that there's like-minded individuals out there. When we're watching mainstream media, we're, we're forced and meant to feel alone. And Mm -hmm. the more we feel alone, the more divided we get and the more that these issues are going to arise in our country and in the world. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Like, uh, you know, I grew up in, in one of the most, you know, liberal, progressive parts of the country, Marin County, uh, the Bay Area. And and this last year and a half with the shutdowns and with COVID and the larger social movements that have built, like, it's, I've definitely, I've fallen the camp of, like, the homeless political person. Uh, definitely embraced a lot of a lot more i want to say the term libertarian but that's such a loaded term for a lot of people it's 
that that it's not the libertarian party because I think that that's been like pretty thoroughly corrupted by some pretty insane corporate agenda, but there are members out there that are striving for more freedom and more liberties, I guess, to use the the term, the liberty movement. And there's people in that that are, it really comes down to like these three big issues, which is like, end the wars, uh, stop the war on drugs and demilitarize the police. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then we can talk about the other really important factors. But I think if we got rid of those, if we just stopped, like without ever having to build anything, if we could just stop doing those three like constant own goals, uh, it would change like with the stroke of a pen, the fabric of this country overnight. Well, the undertones there are all investments in community, right? Like that's where all those money and you know, my, my partner is a homeless outreach coordinator. and, And I can assure you that, if she was the one going and tar- talking to someone while they were in psychosis, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have people getting murdered and right. we wouldn't be paying hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to lock someone up who is only a threat to themselves, totally. who just needs some medical intervention and honestly to talk to a therapist because really they're just lashing out from childhood trauma and sure. negligence in their youth. Um, I have have a lot of friends that are libertarian. Mm -hmm. I I definitely identify with some of those views. I would say broader, though, Mm -hmm. regardless of our political ideations, we just need ranked choice. Goodness gracious, give us ranked choice. Totally, totally. And the, I I think, like, I'm in this funny place because I am a product of social programs, right? I grew up on welfare, single mom, two kids, you know, working two jobs and, if it wasn't for food stamps and section eight, like we would have been on the street. And I think that the social safety safety net is incredibly important in any just society. Um, But I have real questions about the federal government and these larger scale organizations that where the corruption is at such a high level and we're so far removed from the political process. And I think it's beautiful seeing, uh, the interplay between people on the far left side of the spectrum and the far right side of the spectrum coming together and agreeing on like, we can disagree about particulars, but like the fundamental things about what a just society looks like. I I do think local political involvement and prioritizing smaller and smaller down ballot, not getting rid of government, but prioritizing like, I guess minarchy maybe is the, is the correct term, but just, I've always thought that like the municipal and County level, uh, tends to to really be a, a mechanism that's able to like have substantial change on the quality of people's lives. One hundred percent in in Seattle, for instance, because other states in the nation are taking such aggressive us versus them, pull up your boots mentalities on on some of their most susceptible citizens and essentially giving them a bus ticket and saying, Hey, go to Oakland, go right. to Seattle. Yeah. You, we've created an entirely new judge position where essentially, you know, the, this judge in Seattle is given all the low level drug offenses, mm-hmm. um, nonviolent drug offenses and, and, and people with mental health, health issues. And it's, you know, just with the creation of that, we've been able to save the state millions of dollars. Wow. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's small changes at the local mm-hmm. level to your point. Totally. I, we can totally agree on that point. It's, it's awesome. And I do love, I mean, that is one of the things I love about this medium about podcasting is being able to 
sit down with a conversation without a commercial break, without a set time. You don't have to get your s- seven minutes of soundbite in. Speaking of Bernie, like, goat cheese, cheese curd. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, one of the things I loved, you know, because I'm a fan of Joe Rogan's. I listen to his podcast a lot. Um, when he had Bernie on, you know, is that the infamous uh, Bernie toting it up with him? Is that did he do that? Or I'm thinking, I'm thinking Musk. Elon. Yeah, yeah my bad, no, my bad. But my Bernie bad. came on. That was infamous because uh, I think he got like Rogan got a lot of flack for supporting Bernie, um, but. It was like, I've heard so many different things about Bernie Sanders, and I'd like to say I have kind of a nuanced view of him. I I voted for him. He was always my choice. Um, And, but going into that conversation, like, I'm only hearing like Bernie's two minute interview here, that he's trying to get his interview stuff out. It's easy to cast him in whatever context you want, but then you go and hear him talk for 90 minutes to Rogan and you're like, Oh yeah, this guy's good on everything. Like he's, you know, he's, he's, his message doesn't waver. And that's something that's really rare, especially at high level politics. Look, I, I don't want to say his name, so I'll say 45. Um, (laughs) but I think across the aisle, everyone agrees. We did want to drain the swamp. There's totally Mitch McConnell should not be able to stop (laughs) anything he wants just because it's a Wednesday. Um, you know, it it shouldn't work that way. But, um, when you get people like Bernie in there that you can see their track record, that's, I mean, that's all we need. We just need people that have empathy. And I think Mm -hmm. if I were to run on, on, on a ballot, my stance would just be make empathy happen again because <laughs> as soon as we start seeing our neighbor for our neighbor mm-hmm. and seeing that they have flaws and seeing again that they just want to go as we started this podcast mm-hmm. they just want to go their nine to five and put food on the table right. we can really start driving change that way but we're being pitted against each other oh that's that's for sure it's it's been pretty intense just to watch the you know whatever and, you know, whatever end you fall down on with, with the COVID thing and however you feel, just you can't ignore the dehumanization that's happening right now and the people, how much people are being put, pitted against each other. And it, it it breaks my heart every time I see it. And it, it's, I'm still like uh, trying to figure out how to communicate in this context and how to talk to people and, uh, and how to feel safe to be honest about the way that I've made sense of it and what my own beliefs are regarding it. And, you know, you go back and forth between wanting to like proselytize and then just wanting to listen and wanting to understand. And, and, and like you just said, where it all comes down to empathy, you know, and trying to, you know, realize that like everybody has the same needs and they're, we all make our reality in our own way and we're trying to find our own wisdom with it. So you know, being able to accept that like, Hey, this person has found, you know, a way of thinking that, that, that works for them because they still think that way. Like nothing has caused them to change. So, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I'll, I'll pick you back off of that. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, we have a lot of radical conversations at home again, based a, a socialist girlfriend yeah. and me somewhere in between, mm-hmm also just focusing on my music so you know i don't know how i want to identify but i with the climate crisis Mm -hmm. with you know disease almost an inevitable in our future if you've read if you've read any article 
until until we start making steps to be a global society, I really think we're going to continue to keep falling on our face because, you know, this year as as a West Coaster, we had fires the majority of the year, the same time that Australia was burning. And then a few months later, Germany was flooding and all, all at the same time, all of this was happening. And yet I don't think we had a summit where we all came together and we're like, dude, (laughs) how do, how do we invest in our social and political infrastructure to, to stop this? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, we, as long as we just keep looking at our own little plots of land instead of the, the holistic whole, I think we're going to keep struggling. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And the the only thing I will amend to that is just the, I think also how do we find a system that like can make those big changes, but that we can actually entrust with that amount mm-hmm. of power. Because I, when I hear like global society, I'm like, oh God, like cool. who's under, in charge? Right. Under the current like standard of, of authority, that's a terrifying concept, but I do also believe that, like you said, like it is a global effort to be able to get, you know, to get our shit together with, with renewables and with, you know, fi- finding a way to be in, in harmony with the environment or with nature, with us, we're part of nature, but coming to a country like Costa Rica, I didn't know it before I got here, but I learned on my first day that this, this country's 98% renewable energy. And yeah, it's not perfect, you know, but like they're pretty that's a pretty powerful message to learn about that that yeah, it's a small country, but they can do it with with you know and still have a working society and economy and uh it's inspiring to me and 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 that is I think that is like I was talking about this last night with with my friend just as much uh, right now in the world is, is there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of uh, it seems to be a lot of movements happening really quick that can be really scary. You're seeing kind of this old regime start to really cling to its power and do some crazy stuff in the name of that. But to me, it, what it really looks like is it's kind of like the the beginning of the end and the beginning of a new ethos. I think people are starting to wake up to the fact of that these systems are just incapable of providing the solutions that we need. And, and I don't think it needs to happen with violence. I don't think the Amen. change can happen with violence. I think it's, it really is this like, you know, it's, it's not a new concept. You have it's the, the ideas of Gandhi, of MLK, uh, the non-participation things. It's, it's, it's less about like, needing to actively break things and more about leading by example and and building, you know, in your communities with people. And that's why it's so important, like these conversations. And, you know, I think the antidote is for each of us to figure out what kind of community we want to be creating for ourselves, for our children, for our friends, and then in our own way, building those mechanisms into our life. Cause that's really the only power we have, right? Yeah. Well, we, yeah. Chaos brings opportunity, mm-hmm. right? And g- going back to Costa Rica, we did a cacao tour yesterday. And so everyone listening at home, cacao is 
where we get our chocolate from and cacao in its pure form. I think our tour guide said yesterday has 120 sits different minerals and antioxidants. It's a superfood. Uh, he was saying he was giving it to his, um, relatives with Alzheimer's and saying like actual cognitive, uh, stability as wow. a result. Um, and his farm is ca- carbon positive. So it's taking the carbon and it's making a cleaner and cleaner environment mm-hmm. as a result. And so, I think, you know, as we move forward, as this old guard um, fades out, to put it positively, mm-hmm. um, it's really having those conversations with our neighbors. And I mean, Costa Rica is our neighbor, right? Yeah. It was three hour flight from yeah, Miami. Right. Really easy for us to get down here and start asking questions. And, mm-hmm. you know, with with the fear that the climate crisis brings, why can't we go and plant cacao in Seattle? You know, right. we, we have all those massive tech companies. Why don't we get an investment there and start, you know, cleaning up the carbon sink that we have there? And so it's, totally. it's just leading with curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and creativity, right. It gets back to the theme of this, like the, our, we shut down our creative brains when we give into the fear and we start thinking, you know, kind of in survival mode. Scarcity mindset. Yeah, exactly. But but we're so capable of, of amazing things when we are able to, to think creatively and it makes me think of, I don't know if you've heard of those. Uh, I think they're on like the North African coast. They have these power plants that are essentially like a field of mirrors of like concave mirrors with a water tank in the center. I haven't. This is crazy and though. The mirrors focus sunlight directly onto the water tank and it boils the water inside. They can get it to a point where it's like red hot and they're getting clean energy out of these plants and they're getting desalinated water. So it's like this two for one. It's like those type of solutions. Like we can figure that shit out. Like we should have that in every city, right? And I think that the idea of not only, you know, not only the, the idea of like a power plant like this, but like how do we make, how do we democratize power? Like how, do, how does every house have a mini version of that? on its roof you know you go to certain countries and every rooftop has like a solar panel and a water tank and they're generating their own you know however little amount of power think about like photovoltaic ink Mm -hmm. we could be coating our buildings with our roadways like there's so many uh ingenious solutions out there and i i do think that uh that is like an area where the entrepreneurship can be a really positive force. Big time. Well, I mean, at least my mindset is you, you just follow the money. You follow the money and you see the reason it's being prevented mm-hmm. and then you're informed and then you can communicate it and then you can go and ask others for their input and then you have the whole the whole palette there where you can say this is the reason why it's not happening. Uh, this big corporation here more than likely mm-hmm. and here's X, Y, and Z reasons or solutions to solve it. Um, and, and yeah. I mean, that's the starting point, at least I see. Hell yeah, dude. All right. I want to hear this story. What, what was it like going on uh, on American Idol? So <laughs> I, I know it's way different. Than, like, very different now. In, the, in person um, well, than they the just screen. they just restarted it now, I think, too. Um, so I went when I graduated high school, which was 2013. Time is very relative after this yeah, last year. Sure. <laughs> Um, I went with my best bud. His name's Nikita Fomachev. Hey, Nikita. 
um he is a russian immigrant he moved here when he was 10 and so his we'd practice for months we found out they were coming through omaha and his whole thing is he wanted to get on the gag reel he wanted to just be this very stoic russian dude that just stared in the camera um yeah i feel like i feel like american (laughs) idol you watch it for the very good and the very bad so here's here's don't want to be in the middle exactly so here's the thing they don't tell you um they have two tickets they have this is your hollywood ticket and this is the gag reel ticket and i remember so we filled up an entire arena in omaha and then they call you so it's nothing like you see on tv first Mm -hmm. and foremost right so they have three rounds of producers cuts before it's the cut where all the judges are there and they say oh you made it to hollywood gotcha so there's technically four rounds okay um I didn't make it past any of those rounds. Okay. <laughs> um, I, you know, I was a kid that played football in high school. I was like the glee kid. I played mm-hmm. football in high school, but like, damn, I just wanted to be in theater and just <laughs> dancing and stuff. But you know, toxic masculinity, all right. Midwest, all that stuff. You're still an Oklahoma boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so anyway, so we decided to audition and I remember it was like still a few hours before they called our sections because again we're in this big arena and then once they call your section you go down to the arena floor and i I think they had like seven to eleven different booths i'm not sure on the number and then curtains dividing them with two judges at each and then they had just had lines going up to the booth and then you sang your 45 second piece but before we did that you know we'd been waiting there a few hours we go and take a leak and we see this dude who like he was just at, acting way too crazy to have been a professional singer that was going to go to American yeah. Idol. I was trying to find the PC words. Yeah. Anyway, and he showed us the ticket, and it wasn't like any of the other tickets. So they have a gag ticket. I just yeah. want to call that out. Want to yeah. debunk that? Um, but it was it was an incredibly heartfelt experience. All the people that were genuinely there were so passionate. Though I will say a little bit crazy like I, <laughs> I went in and i was like i'm gonna try this like i'm a decent singer but yeah. like cool whatever right, right. but most of the people on that was like i am going to hollywood yeah. i am the yeah. idol and i was like bro chill there's kind of that pageant vibe almost big time big time um but yeah i sang what did i sing so sick uh by neo i'm not familiar so sick of love songs that one okay uh throwback <laughs> um but yeah, it was honestly the best part about American Idol was just like getting out of my shell, performing in front of others, you know, breaking out of that Midwest mindset that I couldn't be both comfortable in my masculine sexuality and sing and mm-hmm. do whatever. And that led to such a fruitful explosion of, of myself afterwards. Mm. I started doing little acoustic gigs with my little sister. Yeah, um, yeah it just it, it really led me down this path. So getting cut was actually like an inspiration, not a... Well, yeah, because they were like, you just practice. That's really all they said was okay. just like, hey, yeah, I mean, come back and practice and come back. Okay. Um, Got some positive feedback. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't sound like a horse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they, they were a little bit nicer than I'm sure they were to a few other people. Nice. That's cool. Yeah, and, and probably in some ways, like, better than if you had maybe gone farther, you know? Big time. Oh, yeah, and like... <laughs> You know, I was what an eighteen-year-old kid with like way too much energy and a little bit of like I don't belong in the Midwest ego. So yeah. I don't, I don't think that would have led me down the right path. Right. I, you know, I struggle with the whole destiny thing, but it, it definitely wasn't my time. Nice, hell yeah, got some wisdom out of it. Big time. Um, that's awesome. And so, 
yeah, I wanted to bring up, we had this cool talk yesterday by the pool and, uh, there was something I wanted to talk about on here, which was like the fact that it, it's so, so cool. One of the things that interested me about you right away was that you're a singer who's comfortable being just a singer. Yeah. And not to knock anybody out there that is doing the multi-instrumentalist thing or is a singer. Who, I, I get it. Like when I started my own feeble attempts at singing, I was like, oh, like this is so uncomfortable if I don't have an instrument in my hands to play and I'm a terrible guitar player. So it's, I should say I'm a terribly undeveloped guitar player. Uh, but having that accompanied instrument can really help. And so often I see uh, people that are like amazing singers, but they almost hamstring themselves by trying to force an instrument into every one of their songs or it, it can kind of uh, be like the wrinkle in an otherwise, you know, beautiful performance and, and talking to you and just seeing where your mind is at and your practice with, you've got this community of artists and, and, and getting to exist, um, staying in your lane to use a, to use a term or, you know, like tipping my metaphorical hat. to Yeah. Like has, has that been a process? Was that something that you always like, like how did that come about? I definitely didn't always feel comfortable in my skin for sure. I Mm -hmm. think that's the, that's the typecast. That's the mold that you're encouraged to move forward in, in music is have some sort of instrument that can guide, whatever the melody is or whatever it is you're trying to create. And for me, I think, I think the power that I get in a, not being classically trained. Like I am, I am a YouTube trained (laughs) shower singing dude. Um, I have taken a bunch of vocal lessons in the last few years. Um, I have made that investment in myself and I highly encourage any musician to do that. Um, and I but keep putting it off. <laughs> it's it's so worth it. Just the things that you don't know you're do- the things that you don't know that's hurting you right. is I would say the biggest one. Yeah. Um, structural issues. But for me, you know, I, I, I'm around all these people that to be quite honest, I don't have the ten thousand hours to put into it to master. And they are already so refined in comparison to, to where I'm at with any of those skills that I almost think it's my superpower because I feel like they and not to to you know attack any of my friends because again they're all incredibly talented but i feel like it's almost putting them in a box whereas because i don't know my charts as well because Mm -hmm. i don't have that classical training because i don't have that instrumental training i'll just start singing weird ass melodies you know and then put it on my voice memo put a tempo to it and it's something that's uniquely me and Mm -hmm. so for me i think the biggest discomfort that i had to push through was listening to some of my favorites for instance like i'm a big pop guy <laughs> so like i love jay Beebs, i'll admit it mm-hmm. and wanting so badly to be like him be like maroon five be like all those guys and then realizing that no in fact the more i just stick to what i don't know the more that's going to help me carve out my own lane right yeah and, and embracing the unique weird points of your voice that, that are actually like what people are so hungry for well, right? and, and then once i get you know so you know we'll make our our scratch track if mm-hmm. you will and then when we finally get into the studio and it's time to start laying vocals and, and getting into the finished product you know of, of course i have in the back of my head some ideas of sounds like yeah. i'm i'm refined enough of, a, of an artist to know mm-hmm. like hey let's throw some sax there let's yeah. throw some bass there whatever but i almost think it's better because 
I'm not driven by my own ego and my need to be seen front and center with my voice and my guitar or whatever instrument I would choose. Mm -hmm. And it leaves room on the table for creativity for my peers. And so for instance, like this EP that you're, you're going to add a song to at the end of, of the podcast, I knew I wanted a like indie sort of project. It's like an indie pop rock folk thing. And like all the different tracks have their own different flair. And it's because I knew the message I wanted to get across. I knew the emotion I wanted to get across, but however we got there instrumentally, I was open to it because I knew it wasn't my lane. That's awesome. Yeah. And to be able to, to do the work that you've done, get to a level of proficiency, but then you also, you do have this humility about yourself that I think a lot of musicians, right. Who are like, you know, all my friends, I, you know, with with love and apologies, I feel like that's a good thing to put on any podcast. <laughs> Always. Uh, I'm speaking from the heart here. But, I, you know, I know so many amazingly talented musical weirdos, and they're not doing the music for anything other than, like, that's just how their brain is. Like, it hurts them not to. Right, you have to get it it's out. In, they're in pain if they're not creating and if they're not diving into their instrument. And so because of that, a lot of times these people don't feel seen, especially in social settings because they don't have like the front end social chops to like that. Like most normal people equate with like just being able to interface or be open. So I know a lot of musicians that are like always feeling that they're a little underappreciated or under misunderstood. It's a trope in, in music, right? The misunderstood artist. Uh, and so Especially when, you know, part of the role of the singer, front man, is to interface with the crowd, is to provide that human connection with the normies in the audience and to, sh- to, to be that bridge between those two worlds. I see so often uh, singers make the mistake of not bringing with that because you need to have a certain amount of like balls to get on stage and sing open put yourself out there. It's definitely dropped on the head as a baby a few times. Yeah, right. (laughs) There's something about singers. You got to have that in your brain where you, you do need to have some hubris, right? But then to be able to recognize the, the, the value of these people that have done the 10,000 hours and to give them all it really is, is like appreciate to show them that you appreciate the work they've done and that you are listening to their ideas because they have some of the best ideas. (laughs) I'm you're going to hate me but remind me of of your your friend from California who's popping off right now who's giving the, royalties the, to people. Are you talking about the rapper? Yeah, yeah. La Russell. Yeah, La Russell. So, I did the same thing with this EP was mm-hmm. I mean, sure I took a slightly larger percentage of, of course, it cuz it's my name likeness and everything yeah, else yeah, but put all the, the work in. everyone who played a part in this got a percentage. Nice. Because at the end of the day yeah, I love singing my whole new world, Jasmine and Aladdin in the shower <laughs> and my girlfriend hates it, yeah. but like music is not meant to be created alone. It's yeah. meant to be shared and traded together. And my, my favorite part of the creation process is like mid album creation. When we're all just in the room, people are on their different sobriety levels mm-hmm. and we're all just creating. Right. Um, and that's and then once you're able to go on stage and, and show that to the world, that's so special. And I, I'd never want to have to do that by myself. I always want to bring my friends and the people that support me along for the ride. Yeah, man, we 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 eat together, right? That's, right. That's that. That's the whole ethos. The uh, we cook together, we eat together. That's actually, 
I think that's one of the like La, La Russell isms. Shout out La out Russell. Recently. Yeah, for all you out there that are into hip hop, like I can't promote this guy enough. He's uh you know, he's like my favorite new hip hop artist since J. Cole. Like mm. I love what he's doing and I love the message. I love that he's from Vallejo and that he reps it and that he's bringing Crocs. He's got his special I Crocs. still don't understand the Croc thing, so I'm going to have to listen to La Russell and figure I didn't it out. Either, you know, uh, <laughs> but I, when I came to Costa Rica, I, I have to admit, I went to the, 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 like the hardware store and got a pair of $3 Croc, like Croc knockoffs. Knocks, if you will. Knocks, um, yes. Because my ankles are shit and like the flip flops really mess them up. So I've been wearing them this whole trip and it's, they're great. Like, like as a, like, all right. As a slider shoe that's, you know, I'm not climbing a mountain, but for walking around and having some breathability, um, I get it now. And, uh, and not sponsored, it. question mark. Right, exactly. <laughs> are we, are we no. looking for one? <laughs> hey, Crocs, you know, reach out. I'm down to, I'd be down to be sponsored by Crocs for sure. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll craft you a uh, unique monologue in, in exchange. You don't even have to write ad copy. Um, but yeah, I, I'm curious. Can you explain like what your process is like, like songwriting, creative, like big time? How do you make how do you make your art? So, I'm a. There is merit to the ten thousand hours. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do try and write every day. I try and just sit down for 30 minutes and there's no formality to it. It's sometimes just like words that come to mind. For instance, like with the creation of my name, Otis, I just, I literally just looked at the alphabet and chose letters that made me feel good. Hmm. Um, like X made me feel terrible. I don't know. Like I don't, it was immediately crossed off, you know, cause it's, it's negative X. No, you're not allowed. Right. And then I just made little acronyms and you know, T-Y-S, it's like kind of my initials. I love Otis writing, so it made sense. But yeah. that's a tangent. I apologize. But for my creation hey, process... Dude, is it t- tangents or what <laughs> podcasting is built on? True, true. But so, yeah, I I try and stay true to, you know, 20, 30 minutes of writing a day. Most of those ideas honestly don't turn into anything. It's... I really find it's when I'm most present and just taking in a day where I'll just get like a little melody. I'll get a little hook in my head. I immediately write it down and get a voice memo so I can capture it. Mm. And then if I'm still flowing, I'll just keep writing. Um, when you're writing, are you physically pen to paper? Or are you a digital? I'm a digital guy. Okay. I'm a digital guy just because it's, I don't know, once I get up and I record it, it's so much easier for me to just look at my phone and scroll when I'm recording in yeah. the booth. Um, yeah, I wish I could elaborate more, but that's that's really it. I feel really blessed that it's the ADD brain where mm-hmm. I'm just always having words, um, come through my head for me. It's usually early in the morning though. I will say okay. I wake up, I see the girlfriend. I'm like, damn, you're really cute. I <laughs> feel love. Yeah. And then I just go and pour my heart out. And is it mo- are most of your songs love songs? Yeah. And so I was actually struggling that for the last year. Um, because everything was sort of connected to love And I was like, do people like this? Like, am I just oversaturating my message? And then finally, um, there's a, there's another homie from LA. His name's Grady. He's about to drop a album called the love umbrella. One of my friends, Dom Dodd. Hey Dom. Uh, he did a photography shoot for him and he, he sent him his, the unreleased project. And so I'd been listening to that for the last few weeks. And it's just this beautiful story of, basically him falling in love with this girl. Um, highly recommend it. I think it drops October 14th. You should listen to it. But 
the entire the entire project was him explaining love via different angles and for me it just was this big head explosion moment where i was like wait fuck that man we live in <laughs> such a hostile divisive world yeah. if that's if that's where my heart is if that's where my message is mm -hmm. then let's let's figure out unique ways for me to yes dote on my incredible partner yeah but also tie that back to family, tie that back to community, tie yeah. that back to, I wrote a song, the song that I'm really proud of mm -hmm. is called cheese boards. Mm -hmm. And I talked about how, um, unreleased, hopefully when I get back to the States, we, we can get that ready and put that out in the world. But I talked about how the first few years of my adult life, I regret so much cause I was just, I was posing so hard and I would, you know, go to the bars, go to the clubs with people. And I was always so unhappy cause that wasn't authentic. I wasn't creating the relationships I wanted. And then I, I got Lacey, my partner, and it was, it was nights with cheese boards, you know, and, you know, smoking a little weed. Yeah. Sure. If we needed substance, but like, we were just sitting there with a cheese board and having yeah. genuine conversation. And so it's, I don't know, I've been challenging myself to look at love through, yeah. you know, the things around me and the objects and such. Dude, you just, uh, you saying that just that put the, the album cover into my mind and the album name, which is like. K-N-I-G-H-T, nights with cheese boards. Like all these knights on horseback with che with like a charcuterie platter. I love it. On their shield I or was, whatever. Like I was such a lonely island kid growing up. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, like yeah. that sort of like weird music oh, just yeah. gets me going. Oh, I'm a big lonely island fan. Santana DVX makes you want to have sex, you mm. know? Mm -hmm. That's that inspired. I love those guys. And have, have you seen Popstar? I have. I think that's like required viewing for any singer frontman type because they like it's it's funny because it was a box office flop but i think it's one of the most brilliant movies i think it's having a revival now too i hope so it deserves it he um and lil dicky oh my oh, god yeah. if you watch dave dave is so true to form He's the amazing. awkwardness yeah. the weird homoerotic things mm -hmm. that happen in studios too with mm -hmm. just a bunch of dudes like it's all there. i haven't checked out his show <laughs> but i've heard it's a really you, good thing you about have it. to yeah. pirate i mean do your thing, but what's it called? What's the show called? Just Dave. Dave. Okay, cool. Yeah, but his even like I, I watched the the music video that he did with Snoop, and the one where he's on the boat. Not I'm on a boat, but the the, the other one. Oh, the one where he's talking about how he's got no money. Say so. You know, it's so funny you say that. So, getting tangent off that. When yeah. we started this Midwest Goodbye prod project, I had budgeted for paying everyone for production and visuals but I didn't have money for like actually getting a set. And you know, that's, there's different tiers as you know. Um, and I wanted to be middle or top tier and to be top tier for videos, you get a set, you get the mm -hmm. lights, you get the smoke, you get the whole thing. Yeah. And so what we did is I, I'd watch saved that money. Mm. And that's what Lil Dicky does is he yeah. goes around and he knots in all these mansions. And yeah. so we went to Queen Anne in Seattle, which is like the, you know, each neighborhood has its own little demographic and yeah. Queen Anne is like, you move there when you're 35, 45, you want to pop out a few babies, you want to look at the city center and, you know, sip your wine and throw your money at the poor people or whatever. Um, and I literally just walked up to the first house and was like, hey, this is my story and put on my smile. Mm -hmm. They let us in. Wow. They're like, come back tonight. So we went to the store, we bought a bottle of wine, bought some flowers, cost me like $30. Yeah to essentially, you know, thank this woman for mm -hmm. laying us into her home. We ended up using none of the content, but yeah. we have these beautiful headshots of us at sunset, nice. space needle behind us, yeah. Rainier in the distance, awesome. all from just being genuine yeah. and going and knocking on doors. That's amazing. That's, 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 
such a cool story and and uh and, and such a cool concept for for any artist without a lot of means i think that it's one of the one of the major opportunities that you know the internet and and content creation affords us is that like the the barrier of entry has become so low now that artists you know if you can find your little niche uh gimmick or concept like you can make that video that does go viral because you're doing something different because you've been able to apply your creativity not only to your chosen medium but to the like the paradigm that you're going to let your medium live in um and people really respond to that it's so cool to see like you know to 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 piggyback on it like my uh my homie shout out lash from the california honey drops you know they're this amazing touring band all across the country they uh you know they have hundreds of thousands of fans 29,000 instagram followers as of yesterday oh you checked oh okay. i did my homework nice. of course awesome yeah so uh and you know they just played this huge show at the mission ballroom the fox in oakland there was just seeing like my friends on stage with like just throngs of people just so stoked on the music it was really inspiring for me but the, my point of bringing it up was to this date their most successful video is lesh doing under the boardwalk uh the cover with 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 a couple of his friends uh in his lo-fi in his living room on his little camera off of his laptop and it i think like within a month maybe they were up to like 4 million views wow. and it was like i was like damn dude like like 4 million people have watched that like that number to me is just insane astronomical and you know he's you know he's he's been well known for his art for a long time and and i love to constantly poke him because i am one of his biggest fans he's like my favorite singer i've ever had the pleasure of meeting but the fact that I can also be like, dude, like, bro, just take, <laughs> four million yeah. people like, like have like clicked the thumbs up on your on your voice, like, whatever you do in the rest of your life, like, you get to hold that in your mind that like you're good. That's your <laughs> first. You're a good friend. I I feel lucky for my friends that ground me, but also remind me like this is a moment. Yeah. But to piggyback off of that. Mm-hmm. It's in, it's not a surprise to me that the Lo-Fi project has the most streams because people want to see growth and progress. Right. And it's the same thing for me. It's like I got 13 tracks out now, mm-hmm. all to various levels yeah. of of what I think are, are professionally done. And every person who's, you know, so I have a few thousand Spotify followers right now, which mm-hmm. feels awesome now that I'm fully chasing after yeah. music. It's amazing. Um, but most of the people that reach out to me are reaching out about the early songs and being like, this is when I knew I liked you because you just put it out. Like mm-hmm. you, you didn't hold on to the music. And so right. my message to any artist out there is if you feel comfortable with it, just put it out because it's only going to reflect more positively on you when in five years, the net song is, you know, mastered by, you know, someone in LA who's touched Michael Bublé or something, right. you know, are you listening, Tony? <laughs> this is like the classic argument me and my brother have. Cause, and I know apologies to people who are tired of this podcasts are full of the same story being told over and over again. But like for me creating this podcast, we're now on episode 37. 
like this has been a practice of like just put out just put it out just put out the content and i have gaps of months where i don't do anything and i've re- gotten really good at like forgiving myself and like just being like whatever i i didn't do it for a month but i'm going to do it again you know and uh but it shows you're human right right no i have a life and the thing the, the my rules of this podcast in the beginning i had two rules it was keep it easy keep it fun mm. and that's been the guiding force because Above all else, what I wanted was to have a sustainable project. Like, what do I have to do so that I can stay in love with this relationship I have to talk into a microphone? And so, like, to me, that means just putting out the episodes. When you start white-knuckling it, Mm -hmm. when the concept in your head gives you anxiety, then you've sat on it too long. Right. And so my point of saying my brother's name is that my brother is an amazing artist amazing uh funky singer songwriter prodigy prodigy guitar player over the last two years he's written like 15 songs that are as good as anything i've ever heard like there's i say that as with the brother bias but i also say that as like a deeply critical music appreciator and i love his music like it's to the point where like i'm almost i'm frustrated that he's not putting it out because i want to be able to listen to it you're a fanboy i'm a fanboy for sure and He's got the the artist perspective, you know, that we alluded to, which is like, it's not ready yet. You know, I want it to be perfect. I want to put it out when it's when I've got my whole studio in place and I've got all the parts and I get and I'm like, dude, it it's never going to be perfect. Like, just put out a version and you can always make the always like, remaster, dude. Right. So, you know, also, I want to, like, acknowledge his wisdom and he's got his own process and he's following his thing and and just like i have to stay in love with my art he's doing his own thing but you can believe that like there's not a week goes by that i'm not giving him that little like push like bro where's the studio at where's these songs when are we gonna hear it and because our community it like everybody wants to hear these songs the little bits that he teases us with when he plays them at a party on his guitar it's like even our friends that have put out a bunch of shit, they're like, come on, man. Like once you have your shit out, then you get to like have that to, to, you know, I think that as an artist, you can be the most developed and talented person, but until you have put, done the process of putting your work out there for critique, for review into your community, like people want to be able to see what you do. And that, answers a lot of questions and then when you show up at an event when you're in a social setting like you're already represented your art is represented Mm -hmm. so people can then give you like that status which is something that i think all artists crave you know it's not about like the money necessarily about fame but we want to be recognized for the fact that we create people need validation well i for me as 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 again, someone who is not a prodigal guitar player, for me, it was identifying in that fear, what is it that I need? And so, Tony, as someone you're just meeting now, virtually, I would challenge you to put it out, but <laughs> I would also challenge you to ask yourself, who is it in your camp that you need validation from? Because for me, before I started putting out music, 
you know, I looked at, you know, five different friends. I looked at my buddy, Jake Crocker, who is this incredible producer out of Seattle, mm-hmm. he has a pub deal now. He's on tour now. I think I told you he just played at Oakland a few days ago. Nice. Um, you know, I, I, I send shit over to my buddy, Justin Nakama, who made this EP for me. Um, a few other homies I don't need to name, but if they say, yeah, man, this is all right. Cool. I have my five friends and my mom who's always didn't support me. And that's enough. And then that's, that's enough of a basis to know, hey, I'm not going to fail here. Sure, there's room to grow. But as long as I know I'm not going to fail here, then that gives me so much power to keep moving forward. Hell yeah. And on that tip, um, like I want to hear the Tyler, the Otis. Uh, like do you have – how do I phrase this? Like in your mind, what are the important components – uh, for any artist out there to make their practice sustainable? Like, what do you think is important to implement in your own life to, to, to keep you at it, to, to keep your, your practice sustainable? For me, I just keep checking in on my happiness. For instance, I stop writing good pieces of work when I haven't gone and hiked for more than 10 days. Hmm. If I don't get a hike in once a week or so, I'm a very sad, sad boy. In fact, my girlfriend calls me puppy because I like, I literally jump out of bed. <laughs> and so when puppy hasn't gone on his walk, I'm not in a good mood. And so for me, it's just making sure that a, my mental health is okay. And I've gone through the, the parts of my day, um, or, or more so the, the routine in my day, like going on my walk, like I have a messed up gut at 26 already. So like drinking my kombucha and making mm-hmm. sure that I'm feeling good. Um, and that that just helps keeping me pushed forward. Do you write sad songs from a happy place? All the time. I, oh, Billie Eilish, for instance, I love me some some poppy stuff with some sad lyrics. Mm-hmm. If you listen to some of my first few songs, mm-hmm. it's very depressing mm-hmm. with incredibly poppy production. Okay. <laughs> um, but I th- I'm in a, like I said, I'm in a state of transition. My life, I feel very full of love right now, and I'm starting to see that it's not about some of those bigger wealth things or ego things. It's really just about the people in your corner and, and, and the things in your community that I can make better. Um, and I'm definitely turning a page on a, on a more happier uh, writing career, I'd say. So that the, uh, the archetype of the tortured artist is not an inevitability for anyone wishing to make quality material. Definitely not. Definitely not. I, Life is gray. <laughs> life is <laughs> life is so gray. I, you know, I'm happy right now. Um, someone in my family might get sick. You know, mm-hmm. that might change. And so, I think the thing is to to just recognize that change is constant. And so, for me, like over the last few years, putting out a variety of happy and sad music. Right now, mm-hmm. surviving COVID for the last eighteen months, two years, whatever we're at at this point, I just want to dance. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to make EDM beats. I want to bri- <laughs> I I want to bridge that which which no hate like yeah, right. I'll I'll get going on that. Um but like I want a very catchy hook that people want to just like bounce around to mm. and a chorus that people sing along to. Mm-hmm. Um and I want to bring in the instrumentalism from my folky indie pop project to sort of add a layer of complexity and uniqueness that's me to it. So that's sort of my vision right now, but mm that'll probably change in a year once I drop this next project, you know? Right. So, but I'm also here. Here's the thing. I'm an unsigned independent artist. So for me, like being, 
the constant is my voice and my writing. And I've identified that. And I think for a lot of new or, you know, growing artists, they have to figure out what it is. Like, is it that you have just the sickest bass, you know, in all of your shit and it just slaps always? Or is it that you write, like you have this weird falsetto that everyone falls in love with? For me, like my voice is pretty good, I think. (laughs) Um, But I write really authentic stuff. Mm. And so I'm just going to keep leaning into my authenticity. And if that leads me into a rock style album or this like dance pop, with folk elements thing that I'm sort of writing for right now. I don't know, but I, but I welcome it. That's awesome. That the, uh, that openness to change that you just described and the, you do seem very willing to, it's refreshing to, to talk to musicians because so often people get so it's, there's like this classic dichotomy that I, that I, that I think is really important in creativity. Um, but it can be really limiting as well, which is the, the necessity of like discrimination in how you create and your content of discernment of like, this is me, this isn't me. Right. And I think that on either end of the spectrum, it can become a limiting factor. And, And on one hand, like I know artists that are like hyper concentrated in their aesthetic and they do what they do transcendently. Like they're mm-hmm. amazing at it. And it's because they're like, you know, I have musician friends that are so hypercritical of anything that's not in their wheelhouse. And that allows them to like fill that narrow 2% slice of the pie with like incredible creativity and do what they do in the most masterful way. But there's some music I can't show them. They're going to like poo poo it just because it doesn't fit in that, in that margin. In in the reverse, or the, on the other hand, I see some artists that are like such an open book that their 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 creativity, their music, their their art, it doesn't have any unifying quality. So it's hard as the audience to interface because you're like, what is this? What is this about? You do a little over here, a little over there. Uh, you know, if, if you're into depending on what your tastes are, um, I think it's a balance that every artist has to decide for themselves yeah i'm i'm trying to find the v right so i'm not the two percent guy mm-hmm. but i would say my spectrum is like 20 percent. Mm-hmm. you know like i probably won't do a streamo album <laughs> you know but like the thing is even if i went and did like a rock album tomorrow mm-hmm. like the the poppy elements of my voice would mm-hmm. shine through we would find ways to bring in you know some some of the verb and some of the bass elements mm-hmm. that help support me that we would still have commonality and mm-hmm. so like for me that unknown is fun. For instance, I showed you a song poolside that I'm probably going to drop here in October or November called Mojito. And that got its inspiration from the London like rap scene right now, mm-hmm. which is like super industrial noises. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no idea. And then my producer, um, Liz Starlet showed me shout out Liz. And I was like, this is sick. <laughs> like, let's throw my poppy voice on it and let's turn it into something that's still the spectrum of me. A, a slightly different layer that's cool man it's it's cool to hear that uh you have such a curiosity uh for music and for sound and, and it's it's a refreshing perspective to hear and I'm, I'm curious we kind of talked about your songwriting process but what's your process like when you show up to the studio like are you usually coming in with a song or you like how do you how does that how do you go from 
the scratch, whatever you've put on your phone to then, okay, the finished product. What's that, what's that process like? So generally I'm showing up with a 75 to 80% written song. I got my pre, I got my verse, I got my chorus, I got my second verse, I got my chorus, I got my bridge, and then I guess my chorus again. To, to, mm-hmm. So, you know, formulaic pop is typically, I try and build a formulaic pop song, and then I'll write some additional like buzzwords and cool lines and sort of like my word bank, if you will. Um, but I typically just show up with that, a vocal scratch of me over a, a metronome, so okay. I can, you know, give them the tempo. Yeah. And then... I just like to build with the producers from the ground up. Um, a few of the songs that I put out were, you know, pre-formatted beats that they built around me. They gave me the bones. I dropped the vocals and then, you know, we spiced it up a little, mm-hmm. but for the most part, I'll reach out to the homies and say, cool, here's an idea. It's fairly baked. Let's hop in and start building it out. And then, you know, two, three sessions later, we've done backing vocals, harms, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm definitely not a homie that can do like, three or four songs in a session i'm definitely like a one song a session sort of guy but um we usually get pretty far so you'll go in with with this concept and then your producer will start to add an instrumentation big time and i'll and i'll go in i go in with a lot of reference tracks again as someone who isn't classically trained i'll go and i'll choose like four artists three or four that their ambiance the vibe is kind of what I'm going for. Mm-hmm. And then I'll say, so, you know, this is, this is the melody I have in my head. This is how it's sounding. And these are just the, the spectrum of elements that are speaking to me. Take it, leave it. I don't care. This is what speaks to me. If you, again, producer who is putting 50% of the sauce into it, have a different vision, throw it by me and let's run with it. But yeah, usually it's a mostly written song and then a few reference tracks to help us build it out. It's funny when you're like, I've, I've I've gotten to do one album in studio and the like watching it's like the ego check that has to happen of like, well, it sounded different in my head. And, but then you, you surrender to the process and this little part that you was kind of annoying you, you see that like, Oh, this guitar player is actually playing 3d chess here. And this is actually just like 20% of what the final product's going to be. And, you know, you start to like trust, trust in all these artists that you're, that's what collaboration is, mm-hmm. right? Is that shared trust in the vision. Um, I learned so much from being, from going through that process and getting to work with like some incredible talents and just the humbling nature of, you know, you really learn like where everybody's at when you get into that studio environment and just the, you know, as, as well as like the, I think it's really important for, everyone who's who's in especially with music to you know what's so important about putting your music out there is that like and the shout out to my homie gardener because i remember he told me this right when we dropped we'd never actually dropped it but when we finished our album he was like yeah like there's gonna be parts that you hate man and you just gotta sit with it and you're gonna hate you you might hate them forever or maybe not you just gotta like accept that that's part of the song that you put down on that day and you don't know that might be the favorite part of someone for someone else you don't you know i I like to say this to my brother all the time which is like you actually don't as the artist get to decide if your shit's good or like uh you don't get to decide what the most important part of your song is or like everybody 
who encounters your music gets to decide that for themselves. And that's like the beautiful thing about sharing art is that you're just the vessel, man. You know, <laughs> like big time. Well, it's to your point of ego check. I have to constantly remind myself and be reminded that at the end of the day, we're all on the same team. And so any criticism and like the fact of the matter is if you open your studio to me, we have enough commonality to see eye to eye and I need to accept that any criticism you give is out of the lens of, I want to make this better and mm-hmm. I care. And I, I think that is hard for a lot of people because you, you, you guard your project. You guard, that's a vulnerable thing. So believe that you go out the door. Yeah. How, how, uh, this is the, this is the part that I feel like I hear so many artists talk about, but we still haven't, I feel like it still hasn't filtered into like the mainstream zeitgeist of our culture. It's starting to, but, but like, what has what role has failure played in your process? Um, I'm curious to hear about how how you uh, approach failure and how it's shaped you and, and what you are able to draw from the failures that you've had. I mean, there's there's plenty of shelved projects, right? And mm-hmm. I think it's so growing up, my grandma, I think she's still writing the book, has been writing a book about learning for like the last 25 years, and it's all basically the concept is we're always learning. That's like the one universal language we have is learning. And there is no good or bad. There is just learning, which is very progressive for a woman from the middle of middle of the country. Right. Um, and I don't, you know, I sound very granola and frou-frou and like Seattle has rubbed off on me too much, but that's truly how I look at it. When I go in and I lay a vocal that I just feel gross about, I just try and shut up and listen. You know, mm-hmm. I just try and shut up to listen to everyone around me. And it's usually in those moments where I feel the most uncomfortable that everyone's like, no, but that was the most vulnerable, you know? And I, and I just try and sit in that discomfort. And, um, you know, my, the first few songs I put out, I'm still incredibly proud of, but there was a lot I learned about taking breath <laughs> and, uh, doing my supermans before I walk into the studio. <laughs> it's seriously, it's standing my body, putting my arms big, um, which, you know, there's all sorts of different studies that, that releases oh my gosh now i'm gonna butcher this but it 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 adds to your confidence it makes you more present it makes you more you know in that space and so yeah it's just little things like that it's reminding myself that vulnerability is always going to get me to where i need to be um and kind of just rolling with the punches hell yeah gotta roll with them punches so um are you do you currently are you currently performing these days? Like, are you so shows in Seattle? Do you tour ever? So the goal is definitely to get back and, and start doing some Seattle shows. If it opened up, if there's an appetite mm-hmm. <laughs> for us to do a West coast tour, I'd be honored. I mean, so the thing that's weird about this is so like, we have a very, um, you know, we have a lot of continuity in this five song EP and then everything else is like in a different pop realm. So mm. we'd have to figure out how we perform that. Yeah. Honestly, at this, at this stage, I'm probably a great opener. Okay. Um, but yeah, we, we did a few live streams during the pandemic. We, um, did some different, are you familiar with so far? I think mm-hmm. that's a thing down, down yeah, in the Bay. Yeah. So far sounds. Yeah. So yeah. we did a very similar thing up in Seattle, the studio I recorded at, it was called uh, the secret songwriter session. So okay. same, same, same basically, yeah. but we invited like 30 people in, we recorded it all. And then we've mm-hmm. just been releasing, um, the acoustic set on YouTube. So we did a few things like that. Um, 
but yeah, very much looking to make a bigger presence in the, just the West coast scene when we get back. Do you think that, uh, you know, talking about taking what are, what you've described as like these studio projects and bringing them to a live performance context, it, you think they'll be with the same these producers you've been working with? Are they live players as well? I, absolutely. So everyone I worked with is immensely more talented than me. It's <laughs> <So, laughs> usually how you know you're in the right place. Right? Yeah, they can they can translate that really well. So okay. um, I'm a firm. I hate backing tracks. I want everything to be live. Of I'm course. just oh, yeah. I'm just that guy. Um, and everyone I worked with can do that. So we would we would bring the whole band out. We mm-hmm. we do the thing. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's. Yeah, the, there's nothing harder than someone who's playing a, a backtrack and trying to do the live combo and not hating on anyone that is. You got to do your own thing. But it's tough to get it right, man. Yeah. That's the thing. I, I also find that it's um, it's just a different energetic thing. And like I can remember, you know, for for five years, me and my brother, we had this live hip hop funk soul band called the Optimistics, and I like that. It was it was really fun. We had we had an MC and we just did the live hip hop thing and we like one of the big experiences that was a recurring theme is cuz we got to open for some like pretty big hip hop names. We opened for KRS-One once. We got to open for Casual from Hieroglyphics and uh Sid, er, not Sizzla, uh Capleton, big reggae artist. But like we figured out pretty early on that there was these shows where we would open for these uh, MCs and it was an MC and a DJ and they were big names, but, and not to toot my own horn at all. Like wasn't that we were the best band by any means, but you can't, it was so hard for these guys for two guys on stage to match the energy of six guys. Yeah, always. And like with the live music context, we would be booked before them, but like we would, we noticed that we would be like, the energetic peak of the night and then the the headliner yeah maybe everyone shows up for them but like it was difficult to match that level of energy and you're the best and worst opener out there <laughs> right right you know so and i know that that is an important consideration uh that you know that like my friends you know having talked with my friends the honey drops a lot that they're like a they rarely need an opener because they're the type of guys that are like no we just want to play for three hours Mm -hmm. and that's an amazing thing those those guys will play a three-hour set and then go to the after party and play for another six hours and never it's a very rare breed yeah oh they're very rare players and and they and it's not that like it's a push it's like that's what they want to do they get done playing a show they want to go play the you know the 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 campfire jam or whatever but when they do have openers because they're I would say that they would describe their music. It's like soul and it's definitely on the lighter end. There's more folklore and elements and don't get me wrong. Their shows get like lit. They get, there's a lot of energy, but you know, if, if you were to put like a electro funk, you know, dance group in before, like that's going to be a whole different level of push and energy than what it is they do. So I know that, uh, that they are when they do have openers that that is something they're definitely thinking about is like what's we want our set to be the energetic peak of the night so we need to choose artists that are going to be like building into the set that we do well hey we are open to tour uh <laughs> we i am happy with the catalog you know we do have yeah. we, we have the dance pop we have the sad boy we have the reflective we have the folk um but yeah how, I, how I, many I'm, piece 
if you were to go on the road, what kind of a ensemble would you put together? <sighs> we need a keyboard. We need a guitar. We need a bass. Um, and I'd like to have a drum rack. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, four, four or five people. Okay. Um, and then I'm, I don't know. I got weird friends. I have weird dancer friends. I'd yeah. love to just throw a few other people out there just for, for sure. just for the hell of it and Multimodal. make sure everybody's getting fed. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and being self-critical, I would love to be headlining right now, but... Mm-hmm. I'm a really solid opener right now. Give me, yeah, give me, I mean, give me a year and let me get a little bit more body of work and maybe yeah, my tune I will be a little different. An, it, the opening spot is it, it. It's undervalued, you know. It, it, it's it's a really important part of the artist's life is of getting to getting to be so excited about what you're playing and you're play, especially if you find a an artist that's further down the road that is believes in you. That can be such a validating and exciting thing and you know the, the pressure's kind of off you you're not having to deal with some of those later stage you know uh issues that break a lot of people and um you can really be gentle with your process and, and experimental and um when, when you're on stage singing this is something that i always think about with with singer people that just sing like how do you manage those moments like when it's time for you to shut up and let the band play, you know, like, are you, do you tend to have those moments on stage where you're like, is, are your songs pretty much vocals nonstop? Are there solos? Are there, you know, great question. And what do you do in those moments? I give all attention to the band members. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, you can find one of the songs we did on YouTube. It's called Tay, which stands for time, attention, energy. Um, and we had, we had the band up there, um, from that acoustic set mm-hmm. and there's a, there's a breakdown there where it's just banned and I'm so happy to step to the side and just do my little awkward white man dance, <laughs> um, and kind of just step aside cause it's, it's, it really is a team. And, and I will say that to the day I die that mm-hmm. you gotta be a team player, at least, at least with someone in, in my shoes who mm-hmm. doesn't have the classical background. Mm-hmm. That's great, man. And are you someone when you sing are you dancing do you think about like the choreography of what you're doing with your body while you're while you're singing so if the vision i have for this album that i'm trying to write here comes to life i will definitely be dancing a lot more um but yeah i mean i i like i said i'm super manic man so i'm Mm -hmm. always wiggling and pacing yeah um so i i try and boogie a little i mean have you had any formal training Absolutely not. I okay. took cotillion as a kid. Uh, my parents forced me into doing that, which What's is cotillion? cotillion. So, you know, my, my family, they grew up pretty rough. And so when they got a little bit of cash, they wanted to, I don't know if it's a Midwest thing, but they wanted us to be like, you know, classy adults. And so we had to do a cotillion thing, which is like a coming of age etiquette course. It's super archaic. Mm. I will certainly not be putting my children through <laughs> it, but you have to learn table setting and how to formally ask someone to dance and like proper ballroom dancing and wow. stuff. I don't remember any of it. Okay. Um, and again, maybe this isn't PC, but being from Nebraska, I didn't, I struggled finding my people, um, you know, I wasn't with the music people because I was playing football. Mm-hmm. I wasn't with the football people because I had a girlfriend. I wasn't with my girlfriend because she was kind of boring. <laughs> so I hung out with a bunch of gay dudes because they were actually like colorful and fun. Mm-hmm. And so I always tell everyone like I was raised by the gays. And so like your boy can drop it low. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I wiggle and shake a little bit. I'm going to resist <laughs> that the name of this podcast. <laughs> it's an amazing name. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Shout uh, out to shout out to all my friends. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm 
I'm really proud of this project because the entire thing, I had a visual in mind the whole time, yeah. which the visual came first, the music came second, mm -hmm. which was really weird. Um, so if you're familiar with Beyonce's Lemonade, when she dropped that, she had accompanying visuals for everything. Mm -hmm. And so... Yeah, that uh, was a powerful moment. In, sure. Insane. And so we just dropped the first music video last week. We're dropping the next one next week, and then we're dropping them every two weeks. And so this entire project i've had my my friend dom the, the videographer with me every single time we go to the studio and nice. so you know i'm also not trained in photography or videography mm -hmm. or anything but you start to understand framing and portraits and, and where there needs to be movement yeah and so again i'm not excellent at it but i feel like when i'm on stage i can visualize a little bit better of like this is where we need movement in mm -hmm. this empty space that's a that'd be an amazing concept album for you too. Sorry, I'm, I love, I love coming up with album names, but like Cotillion would be such a good album name. Ooh, and you could write all these tracks that are like, you're like reclaiming that idea and like, translating it in to to be meaningful along your values. Like, what would the Tyler cotillion look like you know and tell that story over eight tracks you know it would be empowering the girls that they can come ask me too they have a voice too oh i dream about that day <laughs> ask me to dance sometime yeah that's awesome dude um so what uh you know i we've probably covered it already but just to reinforce it like looking forward like what are you really excited about on the horizon what are you reaching for um what should people be thinking about looking for you know in the near future coming from so i think my spotify bio says like otis is a thoughtful messenger uh my goal is only to inspire and i'm gonna lean into that even more mm -hmm. um but through the lens of like healing and love uh while like dancing your face off <laughs> that's that's really what i want to do in the next year is i want i just want people i want the world to open up a little bit more i want people to come and dance and shape their body and just have an hour of like really happy and really loving music. Um, and I'm really hopeful that that opens the doors to collaborations and to meeting new producers um, and just expanding my network. Hell yeah. Well, we, we, uh, you know, we, me and my brother last year built a stage in my backyard and I'm uh, definitely one of my goals, you know, and, and we've been doing this is to just, uh, We've been working on this space, this sacred space in our backyard, and I've been trying to offer it up to the community as like a place to come and re learn how to re-socialize yourselves because everyone's been so isolated. We've been having these backyard boogies, which have been amazing, with just like multi-generational, kids running around, got the old folks chilling, food, dancing, and then mm. like, you know, amazing music being made. But uh, But part of that is that, you know, my dream for the space is to start having pop-up shows and uh, I want to start doing these things where we have bands come and play. And then uh, as your band, you're coming and you know, whatever you decide, whether it's going to be a ticketed event or not. I like the idea of the sliding scale. No one turned away for lack of funds, but yes, sir. what I like to do then is, you know, my dream is to have a live video going so that, even if you don't make that much money as a band, you're leaving with a piece of content that you can then put out on your channels and we'll set you up with some nice looking set stage and you'll get people watching, sitting on blankets. So 
I'd like to invite you whenever you whenever you're coming through to come and let me know, and we'll put you on the stage. And very easy flight from Seattle. Yeah, we would, we would be honored. Totally, and you know, Oakland Oakland's a fun fun spot to do it. Um, before we wrap it up, Tyler, can you tell people how they can find you? Hey y'all! So I'm on every streaming platform: Spotify, Apple, Deezer. I found out is a platform recently. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can literally find me anywhere. We have a YouTube channel. And you're on all those as Otis? As Otis. O-T-Y-S. Okay. Otis. Um, it's meant to be approachable, but also like, you know, uh, the, the guy in that store. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll be dropping a lot of content, a lot of music videos. I got a few other projects coming out this year with collaborations in the Seattle area. Um, so there's going to be a small trickle. Sweet. And uh, yeah, just keep looking out because I'm only getting more passionate. So it's just awesome. going to keep coming. Well, I, I love where your heart's at. And, you, and I love, I can feel the passion talking to you. You're getting me inspired. It's like one of my favorite things about this, about getting to do this show is like, I always, I, every time I end these conversations, I'm like, I'm ready. I want to do another one. I'm so inspired to make this stuff. And I wish you all the best on your journey, brother. And, uh, what, what is your Instagram handle? Otis, is Otis music, Otis music, Otis okay, music. Cool. So yeah, everyone check this dude out. Uh, Peep them on these different platforms and keep an eye out. And, uh, you know, Puerto Vida Mai from Costa Rica, we're sending you all our love. Thanks for coming on, Tyler. It's been real. Thanks for having me. Hell yeah. All right. Well, there you go. What a charming gent. Um, Yeah. What a fun time. It's, you know, doing this kind of thing out here, it's like really one of the things I'm most excited about for future podcasts and future podcast projects uh, is just all the interesting people you meet when you're abroad, all the travelers, all the vagabonds. Uh, It just really is one of the things that, you know, is why I want to do this as an art form and why I keep working at it. Uh, and so I, you know, I hope you guys found that as interesting as me. I know when I got done with this conversation, I just felt so inspired to just to make art, to create. I mean, I don't know if you could feel it in that, his energy, but I certainly could. Like this dude is fired up and, uh, in a really cool creative space right now and totally just, just making it happen for himself. And, and I just find those stories to be so inspiring for me in my own process in my own path and i'm so grateful to tyler for coming on and getting real getting genuine getting honest vulnerable thank you so much man for coming on my show and uh and sharing yourself with my audience um so please check tyler out again uh he's on instagram at otis music and that's otis O-T-Y-S. And I'm pretty sure if you uh, Google that, you'll find more info. You can also find them on Spotify at at Otis Music. Um, So now here for all of you Bartcasters, my fam, the larger capital F fam of the world, this here's a little ditty called Good Enough by my boy, Otis. I'm a fighting town to make it Never shot at open doors People say I've got the hustle Yes, it's why I'm wanting more 
Despite I'm not perfect enough 